0: Hey, today we're finishing up this four-week series we've been in uh, called Our House, and we've been talking about the relationships in our lives, and we've been using the rooms of a house uh, to help describe those relationships. And so in week one, if you were here, you know we talked about the front door, and we talked about the importance of of having good boundaries if we want to have good relationships. And then in week two, we talked about the kids' room and the importance of of being intentional to build into the children in our life, whether they're our own kids or other kids who God has brought into our lives. Uh, And then last weekend we talked about the bedroom, and we looked at what the Bible teaches about sexuality, and we learned that, that the way we use our body in relationships matters to God. And if you've missed any of these teachings, I'd encourage you to go to our website or onto the Genesis app. The podcasts are all linked there. You can get caught up. But this morning, we'll wrap this up by talking about one more room in the house, the dining room. And when you think about the dining room, I want you to think hospitality. That's what we're going to talk about today, hospitality. Now, before we get into this, I want to address the question that was on my heart and mind on Friday and maybe on your heart and mind this morning. And that is, why in the world would we take a morning like this morning to talk about hospitality? In light of everything that has happened in the last few days, how could this possibly be that important? And the answer to that question lies in the fact that We still believe that Jesus is the only lasting solution to the problem of evil in our world. If we have learned anything from the Old Testament, it is that legislation cannot take care of evil. If we learned anything from the Pharisees, it's that we cannot micromanage evil away. The only hope we have for ridding this world of evil is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's all we've got. And one of the things that I hope to see come from all of this for our church and for our community is a renewed commitment to the mission that Jesus has given us. That that this will be a wake-up call for us to pursue Christ in our own lives and then to share his life with the people who are around us. It brings to mind the words of C.S. Lewis when he said that the whole offer which Christianity makes is this. That we can, if we let God have his way, that we can come to share in the life of Christ. He came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has. And every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else that we would become little Christ and share his hope and his character with everyone we come in contact with. And what I hope you will see this morning is that hospitality is very close to the heart of God. It's in his character. And that Jesus embodied God's heart for hospitality. And that as followers of Jesus, we need to be ever increasing in hospitality to the Father's glory. Now, sometimes we can fall into thinking that well, if that's not my gift, then I don't have to do that. Someone else who has the gift of hospitality, they'll be hospitable. I'll do something else. But listen, prayer is a spiritual gift. And yet we are all called to pray, aren't we? Generosity is a spiritual gift. And yet it's clear that the New Testament calls all of us to be generous. And in the same way, Hospitality is a spiritual gift, and so some will be better at it than others, and it will just seem to flow easily out of them. But understand that whether you have this gift or not, it remains an expected character quality of every follower of Jesus Christ. So let me start by asking you this. What comes to your mind when you think of hospitality, What is it, what's that picture that pops into your head? I would guess that for many of us, uh, we think about inviting some friends over, maybe for dinner, and perhaps even as you're thinking about that, like the the, the thought of the kitchen cleanup afterwards begins to creep in, and and the dreaded, you know, having to get the house all in order because guests are coming, maybe some of those things come into your mind, Maybe it's the thought of having some friends over just to to play games, play some cornhole in the backyard or whatever that might be. Or maybe you serve here on our host team and so you use your gift of hospitality uh, to care for and to love other people as they come into our building. What is the image for you? I want to show you what the image has been for me as I've studied uh, this message, studied for this morning. It's this picture right here. And uh, I realize that this is a little bit soft for me, okay, putting up a chicken and kitten picture, but it has been an emotional weekend, so we can go here, okay? Uh, We can go chickens and kittens. Now, we have a friend who works on a farm here in Noblesville, and the farmer he works for was having a bit of a rodent problem. And so uh, he went out and he got himself some cats, and he wanted to make sure that the cats would stick around, and so he put them in the chicken coop so that they would learn, hey, this is home, one of those cats ended up delivering a litter of kittens in the chicken coop, okay? And what ended up happening was this hen ended up becoming a surrogate mother to these chickens. And the farmer said that that uh, she'd go around and, and with her wings, she'd round all the chickens up, tuck them underneath herself, and she would sit on them and keep them warm. And if one of them tried to scurry away, she'd very quickly just kind of reach out with that wing and knock it back underneath, and, uh, and she'd sit on these kittens, and she'd take care of them as if they were her own. And really, if you think about it, it's a great deal for the cat, because it's basically free childcare while she's out working for the man, right? <laughs> now, this might seem like a funny picture to think of when it comes to hospitality, but let me tell you why it's been on my mind. The Greek word that is translated in our English Bibles as hospitality is the word philoxenos philoxenos and it's made up of two words the word philo which means or philos, which means friend and the word uh kasenos which means stranger. So literally translated, this word means friend of strangers. Biblical hospitality is a love for strangers. That's why the chicken picture stuck in my mind. The cats are strangers in a foreign land, and yet the hen loves them as if they were her own. That's what biblical hospitality is, to love for strangers. And I realize that the thought of loving strangers might seem a little bit uncomfortable to you. Because that word has taken on a negative connotation in our modern-day society, hasn't it? There's a, there's, a, there's a negative connotation when we hear that word stranger. I mean, we teach our kids about stranger what? Stranger danger, right? Don't take candy from strangers. Don't get in the car with a stranger. And I'm not against those things. I taught my kids those exact same things. But we need to realize that what we think of when we hear the word stranger and what the Bible has in mind are two different things. We think of criminals. Okay, The Bible usually points towards people from other places. So a stranger would be someone from a different country, someone from a different region, even just someone from a different household could be called a stranger in the Bible. So the biblical context is geographical, not criminal. Now, to understand the roots of biblical hospitality, we have to go all the way back to the book of Leviticus in chapter 19. In fact, if you were to ask a person who knew the Hebrew scriptures, a Jewish person, where does biblical hospitality find its origin? They would point you to this passage, Leviticus chapter 19. And this is part of the law that was given by God to Moses and to the people of Israel as they were on their way to the promised land. Okay, remember that. Here's what it says. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, there's some important background information that we need in order to understand the significance of this passage. Many of you know that back in the book of Genesis, after sin entered the world, God chose a man named Abram, who we know better as Abraham, to begin a new nation. God told Abram, I'm going to make you fruitful. You are going to multiply to the point that people won't even be able to count your descendants. You'll be like the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And eventually, this new nation becomes known as Israel. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Genesis, Israel, Israel has relocated to the land of Egypt where they continued to multiply. And as the book of Exodus begins, what we find is that Israel has become so large in the land of Egypt that they they become viewed as a threat to the Egyptian empire. And so Egypt enslaves all of Israel. They make them perform forced labor. They are very harsh to the Israelites. But through all of this, God had not forgotten his promise to Abraham. He had not forgotten his people. He heard their cries. And through a series of miraculous events, he rescued them from the hand of Egypt and promised them that they would be given a land that would be their own. It was that promised land that I mentioned earlier. And now, here in Leviticus 19... As they are traveling to that promised land, God tells his people that when they settle there and when a stranger comes to live among them, they are not to mistreat that person. Instead, he says, love them. Love the strangers in your land. And then he finishes with the statement, I am the Lord, your God. And every Hebrew who heard that statement would have understood it to be shorthand for Exodus 20, verse 2. That's the beginning of the Ten Commandments, where God says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, the land of slavery. God is telling his people, don't forget Don't forget that once you were the aliens. You were the aliens, the strangers in a foreign land. The only reason you're in a better place now is because I brought you out. And what I did for you in showing you kindness and love, I want you to do that for the stranger who will reside among you. That is the Old Testament backdrop. For biblical hospitality. God was hospitable to his people when they were strangers in a foreign land and he commands his people to be hospitable to the strangers who will be in their land, okay? Now let me ask you something. Do you ever struggle with knowing what to take from the Old Testament and to apply to our new lives in Christ? Like do you ever wonder, like the stuff that Moses said, what Do we have to to follow all of that? Do do we have to follow any of it? How am I supposed to know what in the Old Testament still applies to me? And I'm going to tell you, we don't have time to go all the way into that topic this morning. But here's a good rule of thumb. Hopefully this will be helpful. If it's commanded in the Old Testament and then specifically reconfirmed in the New, you can know that it's still for you. Okay? Okay. If it's commanded in the Old Testament and then specifically reconfirmed in the New, it's still for you. And I admit, that doesn't give a full picture. That's not the whole story. It's not the complete answer. We could go into the three different kinds of laws, the judicial and the moral and the civil, and and talk about how those things have changed over time and what Christ fulfilled. We don't need to know all of that this morning. What we need to know this morning is this. Is the command of hospitality repealed or reconfirmed in the New Testament? Because if it's reconfirmed, then this is something that God still expects of his people today. And so to answer that question, I want to look at, the, at three primary passages in the New Testament that speak to this. Let's start with Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, where he says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So notice that Paul begins by telling us to cling to what is good. And then he goes into detail telling us what that looks like in our relationships with one another. Did you see that phrase a couple of times in there? One another. It's, when you read those words in the New Testament, it's typically talking about your relationship with other believers. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We see this also in verse 13 when Paul says to share with the Lord's people. And what you'll find throughout the New Testament is that the definition of hospitality is now expanded to include not only strangers, but also the family of Christ other believers. And Paul ends with the direct command to practice this. He says, practice hospitality, or some translations read, pursue hospitality. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Pursue hospitality. This is something that we are to go after. I think Paul knew that for most of us, this wasn't going to come naturally, that our default would not be to pursue hospitality. And I want you to hear what Hugh Halter says about this in his book titled Flesh. He says, those in Eastern culture view social space so much differently than we Westerners do. In Eastern culture, people let other humans get close. People share space much easier. And therefore, the concept of hospitality is much fuller than in the West. Although we don't mind putting out a few crackers and cheese We tend to be more controlled and uncomfortable when people come into our space and overstay their welcome. Now listen to this. He says, our homes, therefore, are much more a place of refuge and privacy than a tool for mission. And I just wonder this morning, has the thought ever occurred to you that your home could actually be used as a tool for mission? That your living room and your dining room and even the backyard could be some of your most effective tools to use for kingdom work. As you reach out to your neighbors, as you invite over your co-workers or others who are far from God or even your brothers and sisters in Christ who just need some encouragement, who just need a reminder of where our hope lies. Have you ever considered that? What could God do through us if we just made this small change of viewing our homes not as places of refuge, but as tools for mission? And listen, I'm not saying that our homes shouldn't be places of refuge. One of the things I love about my wife is she has done such a wonderful job of making our home a place of peace and a place of rest and a place of refuge. We all need that sometimes, sometimes even for days on end. We just need to be alone, time with the Father, time to recharge. We saw that in Jesus' life, right? He often withdrew to lonely places. But here's the thing. We have to realize that the most natural thing will be to not practice hospitality and to spend all of our time in isolation. Or even just with the same few friends over and over. Because hospitality is hard. And I think that's why Paul says we're going to have to pursue this. We're going to have to practice it. So pursue hospitality. That's Paul. Now let's look at what a different author has to say about this. What was Peter's view of hospitality? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says this. He says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And then he says, Be hospitable to one another. There's that one another again, without complaint. Okay, so Peter agrees with Paul. This is still relevant, this is still for us today. Be hospitable. But then he adds this without complaining. Oh, man. That's a little harder, isn't it? If you're taking notes, write that down without complaining. Because here's the thing. I'm going to be very transparent with you today. This is true for me. And maybe you'll admit this is true for you too. I love the idea of hospitality. I love the idea of it. And when I think about some of the the greatest memories that have been made in our home, it was moments when we had invited friends, some of you, uh, into our home, and we've laughed together, and we've shared stories, and even through hard times, some of the best memories came out of our efforts toward hospitality. But here's where I get really honest with you. In the hours, in the minutes before our guests arrive, here's what almost always happens for me. The thought almost always creeps in of, why are we doing this? <laughs> okay, have you been, <laughs> do you, have you felt this? Why, why are we doing, why tonight? Why, what were we thinking? Uh, why these people? Like all of those different things. I'm just being honest, okay? Have any of you ever felt that way before? Maybe you can relate. You've had a long day at work, long day at school, rough day with the kids, the house is a wreck, and the last thing you want to think about is one more thing that you have to put energy toward today. I don't think I'm alone on this. I think you also have felt that pull to complain. It's there and it's real. But when we give in to that, here's what happens. We end up going through the motions of hospitality, but our hearts are far from being hospitable. We go through the motions of hospitality, but our hearts are not involved. We open up our homes, but our hearts are detached. We serve with our hands, but our eyes are on the clock, thinking, dear Lord, when are these people going to leave? And please hear me on this. When we do that, that's not true hospitality because true biblical hospitality always involves the heart. And I don't know about you, But what I find is this that when I resist the temptation to complain, and when I surrender my thoughts and my feelings to the Lord, what I thought was going to deplete me more times than not ends up filling my tank. And I'm so glad we made the effort. But here's the thing listen, even when it does drain the tank, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Remember, the Leviticus passage talks about loving them as yourself. Do for someone else what you wish they would do for you. And we have to ask ourselves, what has that person's day been like? What are they going through right now that they could use an oasis in my home, some relief, a respite from what life has thrown their way? It's not just about, you know, what is this going to require of me? It's also about, and I think even more so, about what is this going to do for them. So don't complain. Thank God that he has invited us into the ministry of hospitality as we share the love that Christ has shared with us. All right, one more passage that I think will help us understand this. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And the author says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. There it is again. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So Hebrews says, don't forget to show hospitality. Or some translations read, do not neglect it. I want you to write that down. Do not neglect it. This passage, perhaps even more than the others, points us back to Leviticus 19, back to the idea of loving strangers. So it's not that we get to the New Testament and now we swap out strangers for brothers and sisters. Okay? It's like I said before, it still includes being a friend to strangers. The the definition is blown up. It's expanded to include brothers and sisters in Christ, but we don't forget about the stranger among us. And the author says that that some people by doing this, by showing hospitality to strangers, that they have entertained angels without even knowing it. And listen, clearly that is not our motivation for hospitality, right? Like, let's invite some people over and see if we can catch an angel. No, that's stupid, right? I can see my son Josiah setting a trap and trying to do something like that, but that's not what's going on here. The author is simply saying, sometimes this happens. Like, sometimes when you show hospitality to a stranger, that's someone who God has sent in that moment. And I just wonder if in eternity, in heaven, we'll be surprised when we realize that that the person who we thought we were serving as a person was really a messenger from God, was really an angel, and we were unaware the whole time. That's what the text seems to imply. And so the, the writer says, don't neglect this. I still want you to love the stranger among you. And when we put it all together, here's what the New Testament teaches, that we are to pursue hospitality without complaining and never to neglect it. That's the command to every Christian. If you carry the title of Christ, you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, you're a born-again believer, whatever title you like to use for being in Christ, if that is you, this command is for you. When it comes to hospitality, we are to pursue it, don't complain about it, and do not neglect it. So biblical hospitality has its origin in the Old Testament. We see that the command is reconfirmed in the New Testament. And I want to finish by showing you how hospitality was embodied in the life of Jesus. And I want to tell you, we could literally go almost anywhere in the Gospels to see this. Because Jesus just poured out hospitality through his entire life and ministry. But I want to take you once again to John chapter 13. It's a scene that we've come to so many times before, the upper room, the night Jesus would be betrayed, the night before his his trial, his torture, his execution, and he certainly knew that death was upon him. But here's what we read in John 13, verse 1. This is going to be a little bit different than what's on the screen, but... Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. And he rose from supper, and he laid aside his garments. He took a towel, and he girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began washing the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, I skipped some verses in there because I wanted you to see specifically Jesus' act of hospitality. I encourage you to go back on your own, read through the entire account. But what I want you to see is how Jesus embodied each of the three points that we saw from Paul and Peter in Hebrews earlier. First, pursuing hospitality in his flesh. Don't you think that the last thing that would be on Jesus' mind would have been something as insignificant as washing feet? He is hours away from betrayal and torture and the most painful death possible. Surely there is someone else who can do the feet washing. And yet Jesus pursues this. He takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist. He pours water into a basin and he kneels before his disciples washing their filthy feet. It's the most significant person in the room. It's the most significant person in the universe serving everyone else. And he doesn't complain about it, which is truly remarkable when you consider who is sitting around the table with Jesus. Because across from him is Judas Iscariot. And Jesus does this. He washes Judas' feet knowing full well what's in his heart, that he will leave this room and he will go to those who want to kill Jesus and he will lead them to our Lord. And yet not a complaint comes from Jesus' mouth as he washes the feet that will lead the angry mob in only a matter of hours. And in this moment, Jesus did not neglect to show love for the stranger. In fact, Jesus commands his disciples saying, what I have done for you, I now want you to do for others. And we know that his disciples were obedient to this, that they went out and they shared the good news and brought Jews and Gentiles alike to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen, what I hope you will see from all of this is that if we are to become little Christs, hospitality must be ever increasing in us. If C.S. Lewis was right, that the whole point of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else than becoming little Christs, then hospitality must be ever increasing in us. So on a very practical level, how does this play out? What does this look like? Well, it's as simple as inviting some people over and being intentional about sharing your life with them. And we're not talking about fine china or filet mignon. Okay, we're talking about paper plates and hot dogs. This isn't about showing off. This isn't about how good of a cook you are or how clean your house is. I love what my friend Kathy Elzinga always says. She says, if you're coming to see me, come anytime. If you're coming to see my house, make an appointment, okay? (laughs) That's not the point of of hospitality, to to, to show off our things, show off our house, show off our... No, this is a, a moment for us to love others in our homes. This is about using our house and our hospitality as tools for mission. And I wonder this morning, will you commit to doing that even this summer? Could I challenge you in the next couple of weeks to take just some very tangible steps towards this? Here's a few ideas. Maybe it's with someone here at church that that you know, but you don't know well, or maybe even somebody who you walk in here every Sunday and you see their face and you recognize them and you know they belong here, but you have never extended a hand of friendship. And shame on us for doing that. Shame on me. I've done it too. I want to do something right now. It's going to feel weird, but we're all going to do it. I want you to look around. Look around in the room right now. Stop looking at me and look around. Find someone in the room right now who you have seen every single Sunday, but who you have never offered a hand of friendship. Do it. Quit looking at me. Look around. We only do this in the American church, where I stand up front and you all look at me. You are the church. We are the body of Christ. And we come into this room together every single Sunday. But you don't know the person's name who's sitting three feet away from you. Let's fix that this morning. Will you fix that this morning? Will you go to that person after this service, extend your hand in friendship and make a new friend here at Genesis Church? That is your brother in Christ. That is your sister in Christ. We are family. Shouldn't we know each other's names? Let's start to correct that this morning. Maybe invite that person over for a meal. Or maybe there's a neighbor who you know is far from God and it's just never seemed like the right time, you know, to go deeper with that person, to push in I wanna challenge you this morning with your neighbors in your neighborhood, do it. Push in. This week, when you see them, you invite them over. Get them into your home, express some love for strangers, and see what God does with your obedience to this. Students, I know there are several of you here, there are others around the room. Here's my challenge to you. It's almost summertime, right? One more week, is that what most of you have? One more week of school and then you're out. Here's the deal. There are some outsiders at your school. There are some kids who spend their life in isolation because they are outsiders, and you know exactly who I'm talking about right now. They're the ones who are alone in the lunchroom. They're the ones who are the last picked for teams. They're the ones who are socially awkward and they are outsiders. And some of you are insiders and you have all of the power to take some of those outsiders and to make them feel like insiders. Listen, I'm gonna be 42 in a month but I do not forget the feeling of being an insider. I was an insider in high school. I was on prom court, if you can believe that. I used all of my power as an insider to remain an insider. I was so focused on staying with the in crowd and being an insider and being funny and being popular that I just completely helped those other kids in their isolation. Don't do that. That's stupid. Your time is limited and lives are important and lives hang in the balance. You use your power as an insider to reach some outsiders this summer. Don't abandon your group of friends. Bring them into your group of friends. Invite them over, invite them to go to the pool, order some pizza, TP Paul Mumma's house. I don't care what you do. <laughs> Bring some outsiders inside. And finally this, one other expression of this that I think is so cool that God has put on a number of hearts in our church. And that is those of you who have opened up your homes by being a part of foster care. Man, that is such a beautiful expression of biblical hospitality. In fact, I heard a a speaker at a conference one time say, it's the best expression of of biblical hospitality that the church has today. Being a part of something like foster care or safe families where you are taking kids who are strangers in your home, but you're bringing them in and you're providing for their needs and, and you're giving them a place where they can belong and be safe. Maybe God is putting something like that on your heart. Maybe you felt him pulling you in that direction. And here's my challenge for you today. You don't have to figure it all out today. Just take the next step. I'd love to connect you with some of these families who have, who have uh, taken the dive into to foster care and safe families. Just commit to taking that next step. Come and talk to me. I'll connect you with some of those, those families. This is all part of what it means and what it can look like to become little Christs as we increase in hospitality because Jesus practiced hospitality right to the very end. And this morning, we're gonna remember his hospitality. Through the taking of communion, we're gonna remember the most hospitable act in all of history. When Jesus went to the cross and he invited outsiders and strangers like you and me, people who are enemies of God, to be reconciled to God, to become part of his family, and to be known as insiders. Have you accepted Christ's hospitality? If you have, I want to invite you to take communion with us today. If you have not yet accepted Christ's gift of hospitality, I want to talk to you before you leave this morning because this gift can be yours from now through eternity. Well, host team, would you come and start passing out the elements? As we take communion together this morning, I want you to take the stack of cups. In the bottom cup, you're going to find a piece of bread when we take the bread, we remember Christ's body broken for us. And the top cup is going to have some juice in it. And the juice uh, represents Christ's blood poured out on our behalf that what Christ did on the cross in shedding his blood and his body being broken for us, that he brought us in strangers that we were, and he called us sons and daughters of God. That's what we remember today that God showed hospitality for us and he has called us to show hospitality for others. I wanna give you time to pray over this, to thank the Lord for his sacrifice, for calling us back, for reconciling us through the blood and the the body of Christ. And then in your own time, I want you to take those elements and the team's gonna lead us in a little bit more worship before we leave today.